a lot harder to break your overall finances if you have multiple sources of income. DPL member Jamie Epson walks through what he says are the biggest risks in clients' portfolios today and how he works with DPL to help mitigate those risks. You're listening to Advisor Revelations. Well, welcome everyone today to Advisor Revelations podcast. Today we're joined by Jamie Upson, who is the owner of Stonehearth Capital. Uh, Jamie, welcome and thank you for sharing your thoughts today with our members on the Advisor Revelations podcast and the advisor community. I'm happy to be here, Jonathan. Thank you. Welcome. Well, Jamie, before we jump in and start talking a little bit about uh, some really good topics today, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your firm, background, and uh, kind of what your role is with Stonehearth? Sure. Be happy to. Uh, so I started, I, I grew up in New Hampshire. I went to school in New Hampshire, and uh, my wife was one year behind me uh, at school. And so I needed to take a job, and I took a job out in Chicago. Uh, at all places. And I, I majored, majored in environmental science, which I know makes no sense uh, in the context of what we're talking about. Uh, there was actually an explosion at the plant that I was at. And so I quickly realized that wasn't necessarily the right uh, job role for me. So I got back in my car and I drove home and I needed a job. Uh, and I happened to be in Merrimack, New Hampshire, which is my hometown. And Fidelity Investments just happened to put a big, huge campus there and I knew nothing about finances and was proud of it uh, that I didn't know anything about a mutual fund and Fidelity said, "Well, we welcome all and and we're happy to train you." So I did spend about ten months with Fidelity and then when my wife at the time girlfriend graduated, she said, "I'm moving back to Mass," and I followed her and actually got a job at Stonehearth uh, back in 2000, where I've been uh, for now. I started my 21st year, so if you can't tell, I got quite a few grays here uh, <laughs> to prove it. So. As I said, I've been with the firm since 2000. I actually uh, took over and bought the firm in 2017. Uh, we work with mostly clients that are in Massachusetts, but then we also have clients, and I think it's about 25 other states. So they 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 might have been here at one point in time, but then they've retired someplace else. Um, and we we help predominantly families. Uh, we don't have any corporations or businesses that we're, that we're working on. And we like to describe that over the last 35 years, we've been helping clients manage risk and identify opportunities. And obviously, we'll be talking quite a bit about risks uh, today. And that's one of the things that we've focused on for a long time. Well, that's awesome. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that. Does your wife take any credit for uh, you moving back and what happened in Chicago? Or is this kind of act of God and things worked out the way they should have? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> probably a little bit of both. Thanks for sharing, Jamie. Um, that was that was really great background. Um, when we first got connected, and as we were talking and, and learning a little bit more about what Stoneheart does and how a partnership with DPL could be mutually beneficial, you told me you were writing a paper about the eight biggest risks uh, of retirement for retirees. Um, and you told me some of the biggest concerns that uh, you see and that clients see are really around sequence of return risk and longevity risk. Um, could you share a little bit about those two risks, um, what they actually mean, and maybe the impact to, to the client? Sure. So I guess the first starting point is if if the audience is in the industry, they've probably heard of, of sequence of return risk and longevity risk. Um, and the longer 
And the more promotion those key phrases get, then maybe the retail investor will actually uh, follow those. But I think for right now, nobody, the average person doesn't call it, hey, by the way, I just want to talk to you about my sequence of return risk and my longevity risk. So (laughs) there's just different ways that we've approached it. And these have existed for years. It's just that now there's an actual phrase so that everybody in our industry has a uniform definition of what we're talking about and what we're trying to address. Most clients, when you talk to them, the first thing that they tell you is, look, I want to I want to retire and I want to make sure that I have sufficient assets so that I don't run out of money. So it, whether they know it or not, they're already subconsciously aware that they're they're exposed to longevity risk. And they might mention to you, even without asking how their parents, what what it, what age they lived until or, or that they're still alive and that they want to plan for that. And that comes up when you're talking about financial planning, uh, for sure. I think all clients, when you're talking about sequence of return risk, I don't know a single client that that doesn't want to lose money right after they retire. So I think everybody knows and understands and appreciates that when you're no longer accumulating assets and you're starting to draw off those assets, it hurts that much more if you start experiencing a big pullback early in those years as opposed to later. Nobody likes it anyways, but it hurts that much more if it happens early in the relationship. Yeah, I think uh, Wade Fowl drops the statistic that the five years right before retirement and the five years right after the retirement date are the crux of the retirement plan and financial plan. Yeah. It determines a huge portion of the retirement outcomes. Yep. Um, so yep. I can see where that can be extremely, extremely important. Sure. I know you're currently writing on the different risks that our retirees are facing. Um, can you share a little bit about that uh, research? What are those risks and what sparked um, you know, you looking into that? It is a story that you're telling with clients when you're explaining how you came to these conclusions. Because clients don't aren't necessarily coming to you with preconceived notions of exactly what you're going to recommend to them. So you really have to tell the story of, all right, let's let me take a stab at this to to suggest that um, these are some risks that I've identified over my 21 years that I've seen as a consistent theme. Some of these might not apply to you. And we're going to and and through our conversations, through our financial planning, we'll be able to discover what what other areas that maybe I didn't reference here. But I would venture a guess the whole goal of this paper is that 70, 80 percent of the time they're like, you know exactly who I am uh, because you've you've worked with retirees before you understand what they're thinking. You know the concerns that they've had because you've been listening for 21 years. Um, so why can't I put that together and and illustrate here are the major concerns that retirees face uh, and. Uh, in no particular order, you know, sequence of returns is up there. And and I, I'm putting that on the letter sequence of returns and defining it because I, I don't expect that a lot of people are going to know what we're talking about. It, mm-hmm. But yet, right, right after they read the definition, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course, I know what that means. And I know <laughs> what that risk is. Um, so this will help get that word out. Um, other areas are things like estate planning, health care is one of those risks. Some clients mm. will run out and go get enough insurance to cover all that. Some clients will say, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. So again, it's our job to address these areas and put in together a, a concrete uh, high level summary 
that has the options for those people that want to learn more to dig deeper all the way to the point where they can see the actual suggestions and solutions that we're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all it's like always peeling back the next layer on the yep. onion, just always trying to uncover more. That's yep. great. Yep. That's awesome. So that, that's really interesting. Um, you know, at, at DPO, we actually just conducted uh, our annual retirement planning survey with RIAs. And one interesting thing um, that we found was how much risk has really crept into retirement portfolios as advisors are trying to generate um, income for clients in a historically low interest rate environment. And most people don't think that interest rate environment is going to change for the better anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of advisors, what we're finding are leaning more heavily on equities, um, even in retirement. Um, And so we actually saw this this spring that the potential risk of that strategy, um, when you're more heavily allocated to the equity portfolio. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And when it comes to de-risking a portfolio for a client, um, and how do you navigate this low interest rate environment? We're not seeing that we're gravitating towards equities to try to fill that void that you're creating by taking some money out of the bond market. Remember bonds play two roles and one of them is suffering. (laughs) One role is to mitigate risk, and the other role is to generate income. They're still generating income. They're just not generating as much income. And it is a problem, and it's it's one of the reasons we why we went out and searched for somebody like you and your team to help us come up with other solutions. We used to have a lot of people that retired from General Electric, and I'll never forget, we were giving a presentation, and somebody stood up, and we were talking about how we generate cash flow for clients and they said, you got this all wrong. All you really need to do is just put all your money in GE and you can get a dividend that for 100 years has never changed. And we said, we just respectfully disagree. We're just that's that still has a risk associated with it. We never thought that what was going to transpire would take place. Um, but it's just a good reminder that there is no one silver bullet here. The whole idea, I usually relate it to a pen. I can break this one pen. This is this is GE or this is pick any stock, even a good stock if they've got a dividend. Um, not to say that GE is not a good stock. But, <laughs> but then if I put 10 of these together, it's really hard to break. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm strong enough to break this. And this is what we mean by uh, there is no one silver bullet here. You need to spread out risks because spreading out those risks help to diversify. And we know that there's value in that. You mentioned one thing in, in your last kind of um, talk there is that bonds serve two purposes. One is the income and the other is to obviously mitigate the risk and, and provide protection to the portfolio. So before working with DPL, how were you mitigating risks in your clients' portfolios? Uh, asset allocation is the best way to describe it. I mean, what again, things have a funny way of working out, even though the income has decreased in portfolio and some of those products, well, really all products, equity yields have gone down, uh, bond yields have gone down, cash yields have gone down appreciation has gone up. Uh, it's just another experience. The last year was a good year. This year, who would have thought that the S&P would be up around 10%? Uh, that's still a 125-year average, let alone you, if, you, if you actually had to see what we just went through over the last eight, nine months. Uh, it'd, make, uh, it'd make anybody a little queasy. If you started on January 1st and you woke up today, you'd be like, oh, it's up 10%. Oh, what they do? <laughs> you know, so the capital appreciation, it still hasn't created this 
this huge gap. And, and again, total return has been our, our preferred vehicle to generate income for clients. So it would compose of interest. It would compose of dividends. It would compose of rebalancing portfolios and raising cash, which is predominantly capital appreciation as you're raising uh, funds for that. So because we're not focusing in any one area, you tend to not get find yourself subjected to some potential huge whipsaws. Uh, so because yields are down, that hasn't created a this earth shattering adjustment that needs to take place. As I said, bonds place two roles. One of those is safety uh, and to offset the diversifying power. The other side is income. They still are providing the diversifying power. Uh, so I think that's still true, but the income side is not. And that's why we're starting to look at other income products through the insurance world that we've historically stayed away from uh, because they just weren't very friendly to a lot of clients. And the commissions, the holdup periods, the, the surrender penalties, all the bells and whistles that were really hard to understand. I think that has shifted over the last five years in particular. And I know the RIA community is starting to perk up and listen to some of these suggestions uh, that it, it might not be, uh, quote unquote, as bad as it was and that it actually might be good for clients. And I think that's the learning curve that we're going through right now. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, you know, from a lot of the research that we do here at DPL, um, that advisors are aware that clients, you know, have this desire and this need for predictable income, um, in addition to asset accumulation, um, but, you know, predominantly the income aspect as they get close to and actually get into retirement. Um, but yeah, many, many advisors still use um, total return strategies, like you're saying. Um, but in that sometimes can be at odds with what clients desire when it comes to predictability. Um, right. Now, it can come from the GE stock or, or whatever. Um, yeah. So what are your, your thoughts on some additional strategies to create that secure income stream for clients in retirement? Well, the predictability, the whole secure component from us, we accept the fact that nothing is secure. Nothing mm -hmm. is secure. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that was the most secure was Social Security. And how many <laughs> times are you seeing people poke holes at it and say that maybe it's not quite as secure as we thought? As I mentioned, we have a whole bunch of GE clients. They've got their GE pension. I, I can tell you that we've been having a whole bunch of conversations, not, not so much lately, but the last maybe two years ago. Uh, when, when GE went from $20, $30 a share down to $6 a share and they're changing the CEO every couple of months, they're like, hey, is this pension safe? I mean, we just don't know. And the reality is nothing is 100% safe. Uh, and that's why you can't just focus on one specific thing. Uh, you have to have backup plans. And even if something sounds really good. Like I really like social security. We like to see when clients, at least one spouse delays claiming so that they can increase their pension income. Um, and so there's a lot of value in that it's inflation adjusted. There's a lot of value that I think people get out of that, but that's a piece of the equation. That's the starting point from there. Your choices are, well, how far over in the unsecure arena am I willing to go? Mm -hmm. How far is my client willing to go? Um, and at times when at times environments will change and we'll have to adjust and morph because some certain options that were good 
are just not going to be as good. Uh, and you could think of somebody that just had a CD portfolio and they think I'm backed by the government and then they find out that there's reinvest reinvestment risk. Right. <laughs> and so, again, it's this whole idea that it's not just set it and forget it. It's a piece of your income source and annuity income guarantees and using the word guarantees, I'm still shocked that they're allowed to use that word because in my <laughs> world, the RA world, we, we never use that word. Maybe we take a piece of your portfolio that we've been using for total return and we plug that into another quote unquote guaranteed side. So you might have your social security, you might be fortunate to have a pension at work. You might have rental income. Those are all pretty steady sources of income. Um, mm -hmm. And then you got your portfolio, which as people get older, you should have more and safer things mm -hmm. like bonds. Um, traditionally, that's how we've done it. And we're still going to have bonds in the portfolio. But now I think adding a tool like income annuities, I think are just another way for us to address a concern of low interest rate environment, um, still maintain not uh, still maintain the diversification among the income streams. In fact, it'll add one because we were filling the void through the total return approach uh, that they needed. And now we're going to have uh, an annuity income for the right client, for the client that it's appropriate for. Obviously, as a part of the DPO membership, you know, we have a team of experts that takes our members and our, our firms and our advisors through the diligence process on a variety of different solutions, right? That can be customized to fit the client. Yep. Um, what are some solutions you and the DPL team are looking at right now for your clients? Yeah. So right now we're looking at income annuities, in particular, the, the uh, fixed index annuities. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, from an investment point of view, they have guarantees mm -hmm. um, and from the income side, they have guarantees. And I think if you're the those look even more appealing as somebody approaches, say, 70 years of age, because the longevity, according to the actuary tables, they just don't have the insurance companies betting that they don't have to pay out for as long so they can afford to pay more. So those can the higher the income, the more appealing it seems to families. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's that's been something that going over that with DPL. Uh, opening our eyes to it allows us to, again, digest this stuff because we came at it in probably similar light as many of our clients where no annuities are bad. Oh, well, it's not that bad. Oh, I can see the value there. Oh, you know what? I actually think that this will help match exactly what the client is looking for. So we're now at that phase, but it's taken six months for us to get to that phase of a lot of testing, a lot of due diligence uh, on our own and with your team. And so your team certainly helped us expedite a lot of that learning curve. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah, it's always great to see the transformation um, and kind of the eyes being opened of firms. Um, when, yeah, an annuity has been a, a four-letter word in the industry for so long. Right. Um, but just as, you know, mutual funds 30 years ago um, were re-engineered to be commission-free, now annuities are as well. And that completely changes things. I agree. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So ha have you taken that um, one step forward or one the next step and actually talked about an annuity solution with a client? Yep. So how'd that conversation it, go? Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, it's, it, it depends uh, on the client and their, and their 
feelings about annuities and um i can relate with them when they if if the if the feeling is negative just about insurance in general i had one of those meetings this morning uh where i went over it i do think it's a really good fit for this family and we're going to continue to converse about it but the the overriding theme was it was not probably appropriate for us because of that uh, annuity insurance and and our experience in that industry. This is not going to change overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an education. All you can do is is uh, show the value proposition. Sometimes that doesn't stick right away. Uh, for me, uh, many times I need to see and hear and read things over multiple times before something will stick. So I I fully expect that this will take time. There's going to be some people that love the idea of guarantees within balance, within that whole secure Mm -hmm. spectrum. Our approach right now is going to primarily be with our conservative clients first, where Mm -hmm. we have them all categorized. So they already have a more conservative portfolio that does, by its very definition, have more in bonds. Mm -hmm. That's where my sense of urgency is to find another solution to add to the mix for that split. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Always getting it to the client and driving that client value is extremely important for for us. And that's great because it aligns with your business model as well. Right. Right. That's good. You know, one of the main focuses of of DPL in our business is really creating that strategic partnership um, with a firm like like Stonehearth. Um, Could you tell us a little bit just briefly how becoming a member of DPL has helped your business so far? outside of just having um, some of the solutions to the research that you've been doing? We really appreciate the structure of DPL in terms of a membership. It's and and not uh, and not focus so much on making sure that you hit stats for certain products and being very product agnostic, because as a fiduciary, we view ourselves in a very similar role for our clients, where it doesn't matter what products we use. Uh, We are paid the same irrespective of the product. And so it becomes so much less about the product. And even with you, even with DPL, even though we're talking about product, it really starts from the consultative side where here's the issue that we're trying to address. Might be sequence of return, might be longevity, uh, might be they want inflation protection, whatever it is. The products will always change. Uh, So that's the part that I'm comfortable with that. I know that will take place. I can't spend, I don't have the resources to be able to stay on top of those products. But I want to partner with somebody that doesn't have a vested interest to push a particular product, but that constantly watches the landscape and can give me some of my time back by doing some of that that, that heavy lifting for us. Uh, and just expedite, give me the Cliff Notes version, the most important pieces that I need to know about these products so that I can go over it in more detail with the client to see if it's it's appropriate or not. I'm glad that you're getting that that benefit and that value out of DPL. Yep. Um, yep. So how do you plan on getting the most out of the, the membership moving forward? I mean, how are you going to maximize that value um, for the firm? Well, I think so, you know, long term, it'll be the consultative uh, watch the industry and let us know as things change, keep us abreast of that because we're not spending our days just glued in on what's going on in the insurance world. It's just not what we do. Um, so uh, having that long term, I think, is going to be huge value. I, we've already gotten what, more than what I had hoped for. The annuities I felt were I, I was a little bit better at, but the life insurance to me is just still after 21 years 
Um, they're just very confusing. So many moving parts. So it helps to have somebody that's just used to that, looking at that stuff and they can give us the information. And that's why you have a team. Um, so that, cause there's, there's things that I can't do, uh, and, and that I can rely on somebody that they'll do a good job with that and be able to find those solutions for our clients. That's great. And that's, I'm so glad that you're getting that value. Um, cause I know the one thing that is, is the most limited for everybody is time. Well, awesome. Thank you once again for taking time out of your day, Jamie. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for listening. You can hear more advisor revelations at dplfp.com.